This is episode 65 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Alessandra Torrey. Alessandra is an award-winning New York Times bestselling author of 24 novels. Her New York Times bestseller, Hollywood Dirt, was produced as a full-length movie in 2017. Two more of her books have been optioned for film, and her books have been translated in 12 different languages in over 30 countries. Alessandra signed two six-figure publishing deals with industry giants, yet found her greatest success with self-publishing, hitting the New York Times list seven times, all with self-published novels. Alessandra is a popular public speaker and presents frequently to universities, conventions, and author groups. She has online classes available and has built a community of over 20,000 aspiring and published authors. In 2019, Alessandra Torrey, Inc. launched InkersCon, an annual authors conference that broke industry standards by offering content both in person and digitally. In June of 2021, InkersCon will return to Dallas, Texas. Alessandra is also the CEO of Authors AI and Binge Books. Binge Books is a community for readers with a focus on book discovery. Find out more at bingebooks.com or meet Marlo, an artificial intelligence editor at authors.ai. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Alessandra Torrey with me on the show. Hi, Alessandra. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. So I met Alessandra through a webinar that she was doing on Goodreads. And I know some of my listeners have been asking for how do we use Goodreads? Like, how does it work? So Alessandra's here today to tell us about how we can effectively use Goodreads. But I also found out that she has a connection to horses and as well as being an author. So I think the per- perfect first question to ask is, Alessandra, how did horses touch your life? So I was, I was like the book nerd slash horse nerd, right? So I started, um, my first exposure to horses was when I was like super young. I used to walk from one to my friend's house and, you know, we passed like the horse farm. So I would always stop and feed the horses. And I remember like calling the radio station and requesting like, she don't know she's beautiful, which is like a country song for the horse. Like I was dedicated to the horse. So I remember the DJ be like, so we're dedicating this to a horse. And I'm sure I was like a super cute eight-year-old at the time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I didn't even know the horse's name, but that was kind of start. So it was one of, I was those kids. I had riding lessons and then worked in barns for lessons. And we never really, we never really had money. So I was always, I was always working for my lessons, which was the best, but also meant that I always rode the worst horses, you know, <laughs> horses with problems, which was great because it really made me a better rider as I, you now, as I grew up, and I always rode wherever I could. So growing up, I rode. I was a barrel racer um, because that was the closest barn. So I did. I did all five events, and we did rodeos. And that was until I was eleven or twelve, and then we moved to a town. And the only thing it was this tiny town in the middle of Georgia, and the only thing around was an Arabian barn. So I started working there and riding Arabians. And then I spent the next four or five years of my life with Arabians. And that was all English. You know, mm-hmm. they turned their nose up at anything Western. And, and the entire English world turned their nose up at us because we were riding Arabians and not, and not big, giant, you know, warm blood. So yeah, so I, I rode Arabians until I left for college. Sadly, now I live on an island. Um, I live in Key West, Florida. 
And I was told yesterday, day before yesterday, that there's a lady four islands up who has horses, which is crazy because everyone lives on like a postage stamp here. So, <laughs> um, so someone gave me her number the other day and says she does riding lessons. And I was like, I'm there. I've been looking into volunteering for the police force because they have horses, but it requires like six to eight hours a week, which I don't have time to like breathe right now. So, uh, it requires six to eight hours a week of volunteer work. And then eventually one day you get to ride the horse. I'm fine not riding. I mean, I just want to be around horses because you know what it's like when you, when you miss them. But, uh, but I, I just couldn't commit to that with any type of regular consistency. So I'm going to, I'm going to see into riding, but that's my, that's my background with horses. That's amazing. I mean, spoken like a true horse girl. I mean, I so identify with your story and, and you are more, you were more involved with horses, are more involved with loving horses than I actually realized when we were messaging back and forth. That's amazing. And then you've had a breadth of experience. You switched from Western rodeo to yeah. Arabians, English, you know, that's like, who big yeah, difference. Yeah, and hunter jumper. I was never a successful jumper ever. Really, I was the one that like they would buy horses at auction, you know, horses that had been out to pasture for four years and couldn't canter without bucking, like, mm. because they couldn't, like, they weren't used to carrying weight on their back. I was, I was always given the troublesome horses, which is fine. Cause mm -hmm. I was just happy to ride and be afford, be able to be on a horse without, you know, having the money to pay for it. So, oh yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to be around yeah. the horses. And I'm sure because of those experiences, you are an excellent rider. And I'm so excited that you found a uh, training or a training facility or a riding lesson. Yeah, I'm really excited. See, you know what? You know when it shows up, they're always like, "Who is this person? Like, <laughs> can they ride? Can they know they how ride? to ride?" But that's fine. I'll pay for lessons. I, I'll pay for lessons now. Just you know, just so I can be on a horse. So that's amazing. And the small things that you miss about horses—the smell, the grooming, the you know, yeah. all the other things that go into being around horses—are just that piece that they that they bring us. So that's so exciting. I mean, we had more of a connection than I even realized. I love that. Also, you are an incredible, incredible incredible author and you're very accomplished you're the award-winning new york times best-selling author of 22 novels listen in listeners because she's she's doing it so tell us about what kickstarted your author career and you and you do write in different genres tell us about a little bit about your genres of choice in in the books you've written sure so i write i i'm now I, I need to update my bio because I just pub 24, I think, number 24, I think, maybe 23. I've, I've kind of lost count, but I write, majority of those are romance. I'm trying to move more into suspense. Suspense is my reading background, but I started eight years ago in 2012 and it was kind of just a whim. Like I was in between jobs and I had a summer ahead of me and I was always a reader, like I just loved to read, but I never had any confidence in my writing. And it wasn't until I learned about self-publishing and that I could like not go the traditional route of sending my book out to, you know, <laughs> hundreds of agents and getting rejections and publishers because I had no confidence. I didn't, but I knew I enjoyed writing. So I just sat down and said, this summer, I'm going to try to write my own book and I'll self-publish it and I'll do it under, under a pseudonym. Alessandra Tori is a pen name. Um, and I will never, ever, ever tell anyone that I've ever written this book. And that was the plan, like to just a secret book. No one but me and my husband would know about it. And it ended up being just, just this great success. I ended up getting a publisher and an agent. And, and then it was like, well, I have to tell my parents now because I'm not going to go back to work. Like this is going to be my new job. So I told my family and they were, of course, amazingly supportive and I just started writing but then I had it was a romance novel so I suddenly had romance readers and I started writing another one another one and before I knew it here I am eight years later so it's been a, a wonderful industry and it's been I've had highs and lows and I've struggled and I've not struggled so it's, it's been good I've, I've made a lot of mistakes but I've, I've tried to learn from all of my mistakes and that's one of the reasons why I do webinars and classes now mm-hmm Oh, that is uh, congratulations! I mean, that is that is incredible. That's a lot of books. You you must write pretty quickly to have now twenty four books out there, and uh, and you are a, like a hybrid, right? You do some independent publishing, and you also have traditionally published books. Is is that right? That's correct. I'm hybrid, so I have three books with Hachette, two with Harlequin. And then I just signed a two-book deal with um, Thomas and Mercer, which is an Amazon imprint. So I just published my first of those two books with them. So then I've got another one coming. 
Uh, congratulations. That is so exciting. One of your books, I mean, just to, to keep talking a little bit about your success here, you know, and I think listeners would love to, to hear this. One of your books, uh, the New York Times bestseller, Hollywood Dirt, was produced as a full-length movie in 2017. Oh my gosh. And two more of your books are optioned for film. How does that make you feel to see your story, your words, your characters being put into film, into a visual format? How does that feel? It's so, for, I know a lot of authors listen, and one of the most annoying questions that, you know, like a normal person when they're like, oh, you know, you you write books, like, are any of your books going to be made into a movie? Yeah. That question I used to get all the same time. It was so annoying because it was like, is it not enough that I've written a book? Like, like everyone's like, oh, when's the movie going to come out? And we went down the movie route with the Girl in 6E, which is that red cover behind me. That's the girl. That's one of the porn covers, but it looks like that for the girl in 6E. And we were going like the studio route. So I had a film agent. And um, so if you ever want your book to be a movie, first thing, first step, get a film agent. So I got a film agent. The second step, that film agent typically puts together a package. So they'll grab a screenwriter, they'll grab a production company, and then they'll try to get like an A-list actress or actor and then they'll put them all together and then they'll try to sell that package to a big studio. Mm. And normally that packaging is not great for you as the writer financially, but it's oftentimes right now the best way to get a movie made. So we went down this really long path. We had a, a script written and a script, like here's my book and here's the script. And for those of you who can't see me, drastically different. Like my favorite character in the book ends up being the villain in the movie, right? Like, so like huge differences between the two. But I understand this book is my perfect baby, how I want it. And the movie can be their perfect baby, how they want it. I am not emotionally attached to the book being made the way the movie is. But we went down this like just ridiculously long path and it took years. I mean, we were in year three when we finally signed the paperwork with Europa Corp, which was really the perfect studio for this book. It's the studio that made La Femme Nikita and Lucy, and they had strong female leads and they weren't afraid of sexuality. And Luke Besson, fantastic director who I cannot remember the movie that he did with Natalie Portman, but it's fantastic. He was going to be on it and it was, this was just great. Everything was great. And we signed the paperwork and within four or five days, we got the news that the head of the studio had left unexpectedly and it was his baby. And then he died two weeks later from brain cancer. Like it just suddenly came about and no one knew about it. And my, and that movie died with him really, you know, it was like, and they had it, it was tied up, but there's nobody there who cared about it. And they were like going through huge upheaval because he had suddenly left. So I was really over, I mean, at that point, it was just such an emotional roller coaster. I was kind of over Hollywood and not because of that, that that's the situation out of their hands, but it's more like if you ever go through this process, you're you're going to meet with agents and you're, they're going to act like they're about to make you the best, biggest thing in the world, right? And it's a lot of promises that no, typically never, ever come to fruition. But it was very clear. If we make the movie, maybe I would be allowed on set a day or two, maybe. I'd be an executive producer, but honestly, it's just a title. Nobody cares about what you think. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was made very clear my lack of involvement that would be in the movie. And I was okay with with that, like whatever it takes to get the deal done. Um, so then I got an email just out of the blue from a few women who were starting up a movie studio called Passion Flicks, and they wanted to make a movie out of Hollywood Dirt. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll get on the phone with you guys. I'll take a phone call with anybody. You know, I'll get on the phone with you guys. So I chatted with them, and they're saying how they want to make a movie that's exactly like the book, and they want me to be involved in every step of the way. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sounds great. And I'm thinking, this is never going to happen. Like, this sounds great, amazing, no way it's going to happen, right? Like it's just not going to happen. And so then they sent me over contract and I signed it and they sent me money and I took it and they sent me, you know, a script that I read that was exactly like my book in every way, same dialogue, same everything. And I made some edits and, you know, that I'm watching um, audition tapes from actresses and actors and I'm the whole time like, isn't going to happen, right? There's going to be an issue. There's going to be funding problems. Something's going to happen. They're on location. They're scouting locations. I'm still like, yeah, this is not. And it wasn't until they were like, sent me the schedule for filming and I booked a flight and I was in, it's like two in the morning and I'm standing in a Dunkin' Donuts factory, like an old Dunkin' Donuts factory. It's freezing cold. It's like 28 degrees. 
we can't turn the heat on in the building because it's too loud and the cameras need like absolute silence. And we're filming my heroine who's in this little like sundress because it's supposed to be, you know, summer. And they're saying lines for my book and the lights are on the cameras roll. And that was really when I was like, oh my gosh, like, I think this is, I think this is actually going to happen. Like, this is really going to happen. But it wasn't until that moment that I really believed it, that I, that I thought, okay, like, I don't think they can back down at this point in time. Like, I think, I think we're all too committed here. And it was the best experience of my life. It really was because I was able to be involved like they had promised, like they had said on the very first call. I was able to be involved in everything, whether it was the music that played when you watched the movie or the credits or, you know, what the movie poster and, and how lines were delivered. It was amazing. And I was part of all of it. And it was, it was fantastic. They're a great company. They, they focus on making, all they do is they make romance novels from romance books and they stay as true to the book as possible. And they do a fantastic job. And that, and that movie came out, I think it's been two or three years since the movie came out. It's on Amazon now. It's also on their uh, passion flick streaming service and it's great it was hard for me to watch because I'm so <laughs> nervous about it like um, and I'm in it I have a cameo very brief but if you watch it keep an eye out for me it was my acting debut no lines uh because then I would have to be SAG SAG <laughs> nominated or something yeah so it was it was really great that was yeah. a really long answer to your question. <laughs> no, that was amazing. Like what an amazing experience to like kind of have the high of it going this one direction and then the kind of the low and then the connection. This obviously was meant to be made into a movie because it happened. And I love that who you ended up going with had you involved. I, I have to believe that I think movies made from books would only be stronger from having the author on set to guide the music and the lines and the choosing of the characters. I mean, what an incredible experience. I'm glad you shared all that with us. <laughs> yeah. It's also like, it made me realize the talent that's involved. Like I would watch a scene and I'd be like, it's not, it's not right. But I couldn't tell you why it's not right. You know, I mean, it's, it's the same skill that we develop as authors where we can read a scene and be like, oh, this is the issue. Remove this line, remove that line. But I don't have that skill when I'm watching, but that's the director. Like I'd watch and I'd be like, that wasn't right, but I don't know why. Like they're saying the lines, they're saying them with feeling. And all it was, was like, he reached over and like put his hand on her arm and the director stepped in and she's like, she's not ready for that. Like you guys aren't at that place yet. You know what I mean? And I was like, you're right. That's what it is. Like, you know, but I, I couldn't pick up on it. I was just like, mm, that, wasn't right. that wasn't right. So it made me really recognize and appreciate. And there's another person there and all their job to do is to maintain consistency. So, cause we filmed the same scene, you know, like 15 times, like from different camera angles and things like that. And if her hair is over her shoulder now you know what I mean like three hours later we're still filming it and the, and the girl be like wait wait she just moved her hair you know what I mean so it's like her hair had to be here or the pin was like this or you know his like I might have adjusted my sleeve or something and it needs to be the same so it was really interesting just to see all of those things that I wasn't aware of in the movie business oh that's fascinating what a cool cool experience you know and it it seems like, I mean, you've had, and you still have, I mean, you're growing this. You have an amazing author career and experience in front of you. I mean, you, you signed, you know, you've signed big contracts. Let's see here. You, you've signed six figure publishing deals. I mean, you are a success and you've also embraced independent publishing. So you've got this hybrid model going on and your books have been made into a movie. And in just two minutes, we're going to talk about the other business endeavors and how you're supporting authors is happening. But this is like everyone's dream. Do you have any advice on, I mean, did you do anything special for this to come to fruition? Like how, how did this show up in the world for you? You know, it was really, I've gotten really, first of all, I've gotten really lucky. I came into publishing at a really great time in 2012 and 2013. And I know that because books that I publish now aren't as successful as books that I used to publish and they're better. Like my books now are better than they used to be, but they don't do as well, even though I now have an, a huge, a bigger audience. So it was easier to succeed at a time when the market wasn't as saturated, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to do no more. In 2012, 2013, 
you could, you could have a great book and no marketing, or you could have a crappy book and great marketing, right? And those two, and, and if you had half of that equation, it would work. Nowadays, you have to have a great book. You have to have great marketing. And then you have to have some luck. Like, that's just, that's just the truth of the matter. Like, you got, you got to have a little bit of luck. It also has to hit the right notes. Like, I was talking to Melanie Harlow the other day, who just had a book hit number one in Amazon. And she, and I was talking to her, what made this book different versus, you know, and she said, you know, the book prior to this, I put more money behind it. It was just as well written. It had just as great a cover, but she goes, but I think this one book hit just all of the the hot points, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was the right trope. It was single dad. I hit, you know, I hit a few key pain points in the blurb. And she's like, I think this was just the right book at the right time. And even though I put more money behind the other book and I put more effort, it was pushing pushing a book that wasn't as easy to, to, to grow. So you just gotta, it's gotta be this, this perfect mix of events. And some books, I was talking to another author, Stephanie Holmes the other day and her, she's a great speaker. I don't, she's not an equestrian, but if you ever have her on and her thing is, she's like, don't give up before the miracle. And her miracle was booked like 28. Wow. Okay. And she was writing and writing and writing. She could never break above a certain plateau. It didn't matter how many books she had out. She just couldn't get over this earning level. Like she just couldn't do it. And then book 28, she's like, we're just, just like every other book. Like there wasn't anything amazing or spectacular about this book. Book 28 came and suddenly just like, it just clicked. Like that book took off and then her backlist took off. And then suddenly she was making three times what she was making for the last four years, you know? Um, and she was like, and I could have just given up. I could have been like, you know what? I've given this a go. You know, I've watched all the classes. I've, you know, marketed my butt off. I've done everything I could do. I've written 27 books. I think I've given it enough of an effort, right? Like, let me go get some other job. But she didn't give up. And book 28 was the book where it all happened. So I think for me, I've gotten really, really lucky. I mean, I have to say that I've worked my butt off and I am still working my butt off, but it's a combination of, I, I do have talent. I mean, mm-hmm. I can, I, I've worked with a lot of new authors now to know there is, there is a talent aspect, right? You can improve your craft, but you either have how your your job is either a lot easier because you have natural talent or it's a lot harder because you don't and reading is really what gave me i think mine a lot of my natural talent is i read so dang much as a kid if i wasn't at the barn or if i was at the barn i had a book in hand you know i mean i just always read and i think that really helped me but it just um it's just trying different things and being in the right place at the right time with the right book mm-hmm. makes your life a lot easier and you might not have written that right book yet or you might be somebody like your book might be six years old and somebody in California reads it and it's the right person and before you know it like your book's Forrest Gump right and and suddenly everyone in the world knows it oh I am so glad you shared that with us thank you so much I love that don't give up or don't stop before the miracle happens. That is like, that's amazing advice. And that's true. I, I imagine everyone feels like that every once in a while. It's like, I've given this a go. I've done everything there is to do. Why should I do this? But that's the thing about art and creativity and being inspired. And, you know, you have to just keep believing in your dream and not, and not give up. And then miracles do happen. So I love that you, that you shared that with us. And and you are clearly very, very, very talented to have had the success that you've had. I mean, I think there's an element in luck with anyone who is successful. There's a lot of trials. There's a lot of errors. There's a lot of things going on in the background that get you to that place. And it's that, that element of being unstoppable, right? And and just keep going. I think that that is the most important thing for, for authors to to know. Just keep going. You're, you get better. Your books get better. You're kind, you reach more people, you know, all these possibilities are out there if you just keep putting putting out your work. And so thank you so much for sharing and that. You have to love it. Like, that's the other thing. Like, if Stephanie hated what she was doing, like, she would have gotten burnt out on book eight, right? Like, so mm-hmm. a lot of people join this industry like, oh, I want easy money and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's all great. And you can get that, right? Like, it, it's not gonna be easy, but, you know, money can come. But if you're not having a good time, like you're going to, you're going to hate this industry. You really are. And you're going to hate yourself and you're going to put undue pressure on your, on your life. So be here because you love it. It's like, 
like horses never really make us money, right? Like, so <laughs> <laughs> like we're not in it to make money. Like if we end up somehow stumbling across some magic equation, but you need to look at riding the same way. Like this is a hobby that actually doesn't cost you anything. I mean, it can, you can pay money in advertising and things like that. But for the most part, you could write books and publish them with very little investment, right? Mm -hmm. So how many hobbies actually have the potential to earn you money, you know, while you're having a great time and meeting great people. And that's really how I try to try to look at it and try to help people look at it. Cause if they're just getting in here because they want to quit their job in a year and they want to make money like you are, you are setting yourself up for failure, if not financial failure, like emotional failure, because mm -hmm. it's, it's not, a, it's not a good fit. Yeah. Uh, it, yes. That's the perfect analogy. Horses. We are, we love horses. We do horses. They definitely don't make us any money and, <laughs> and writing can be very similar. That's perfect. And I, this is, this is what I love so much about you. You are so supportive of other authors and you share a ton of information with other authors. Uh, and, and in 2019, you launched InkersCon. Uh, tell us about this annual conference for authors and what they can learn and then, and then what you offer. I mean, we got connected through a webinar that you offered where I learned so much. So, and thank you for being a service to other authors. I think that's so special. Four years ago, I launched Alessandra Tori Inc., which is a company that in a community that has blog posts, online classes, webinars, a lot of free content. I also have paid courses, step-by-step -step courses in writing, publishing, and marketing. And that really was one of those things when I got into the industry, I wanted like a writing for dummies and I couldn't find it, right? Yeah. But like craft books freaked me out, you know, like so much of the, I needed someone to be like, this is how you write a scene, right? Like mm -hmm. basics, like how the heck do I describe a room the right way? Like, so that's what I needed and I didn't find it. So it was like, once I was eight or nine books in and I felt like I knew enough, then, then I created those courses. <clears throat> but what it did was it caused me to really look at my own experience. Like, how do I write a scene? Like, it, cause at this point, you know, it's just like second nature. Like, so it takes you back. But I quickly realized my depth of knowledge is only so deep. Creating those courses caused me to start taking other people's courses and diving into what was available in our industry. And I was like, you know, I really want, I, I don't want to just regurgitate something I've learned from someone else. Like I want, I want to bring all these people in and have them speak directly to this audience. And so we looked at, initially I was going to, bring a bunch of speakers and best-selling authors and social media experts together and record like, you know, individual lessons or classes. But then it was like, man, like we have everybody together. Like that seems like we're cheating out. Like we could bring authors in, right? And they could just watch while we, so before we knew it, <laughs> was born. Um, so it's an annual conference. It's held in Dallas every year. So uh, we have a live conference and then we also record everything at the conference and we also present it to our online audience and that's for people like me that don't like to travel I do travel to InkersCon because I gotta be there <laughs> but um, but normally I really hate traveling uh, we also do everything hundred percent online um, and so we have a huge aud audience that's international also that normally doesn't get access to conferences and things like that it's it's almost selfish because I'm like gosh what are the things that would cause me to get my career to the next level you know and that is all I do basically when I create the curriculum, I'm like, you know, I need to know how the heck to market audiobooks. So who's the best person to teach me and everyone else how to market audiobooks? So we're very business focused. Like we have craft classes, we have business classes, advertising classes, and marketing classes. So those are the four modules. That is so amazing. I'll link to Inker's kind of the show notes so people can definitely check that out. But that's what it's very professional and that, and I love that you have the virtual and the in-person experience, but the, the topics that you're talking about are really next level. Like I think I really truly agree with that. Like share a couple of the titles of the, of the sessions that you offer. So every year is different. We have a completely new lineup, but like for our 2020 conference, we had branding 101, which is taught by Meredith Wild, who is the number one New York times bestseller. Self-published, she hit number one self-published, and she took three other. She made two other authors number one New York Times bestsellers under her imprint. It's amazing. She's wow. a fantastic. So she was just all about like author branding, book branding, like creating a cohesive 
brand for your authors. But then we also had like what what to quit by Becca Smine, who's amazing. She's she that was like really inspirational. Like what to stop doing, like what what are the blockers in your career and in your mindset and in your processes that are keeping you from achieving what you want to achieve. And that was one of the most, and then we had like a productivity one, 400% more product productive, like how to, and that was taught by Mal Cooper who publishes like over 30 books a year. Like she's a (laughs) machine. I don't know how she does it. So it's everything from that. We had a sprint workshop, which was two authors who sprint together, but you could also sprint on your own. That helped me. That was me. I was like, I hear about sprinting all the time. I need someone to like, like dumb it down for me, like step by step, what the heck do I do? Cause I've tried the sprinting thing and I'm still like fixing popcorn, you know, in the middle of my sprint sessions. So, so yeah. So, and then we also have like advanced and beginner advertising classes an accounting class that talks all about, you know, tax write-offs and how you should set up your business financially. And so, and we're focused on fiction, but I have people email me all the time that are like, oh, I'm a nonfiction author. And what I always tell them is look through the curriculum and just see, but, and we offer money back guarantee. So if you aren't sure after looking through the curriculum, just enroll, check it out. And I don't care if you watch every single class and then you come to me and say, you want your money back, whatever. Like we want you to be happy, you know, so we can be happy. So, yeah. So even though it's focused on fiction, I would say that we have at least, I'd say five or 10% of our um, attendees are actually nonfiction. Wow, that is so cool. And why why did you decide to support other authors? There's no need to feel competitive with each other. Like we we can all unite and we were just talking about this before we started the interview. You know, every single one of us could be given the same writing prompt and because of who we are, our personality and our life experience, every book would be completely different. So just, you know, why did why why was it passion why was it passion for you to help other authors succeed? So early on, when I first self-published, I I knew no one in the industry. I was writing under pen name. So it wasn't like I, I couldn't even tell like my family and friends about mm-hmm. it, right? So I was this like island on my own. And it took me, I think a year and a half before I realized that there was an author community online. I mean, that I could connect with. I went to an author's conference and I met a few authors there. But I really still, at that point in time, self-publishing was really like, ground upon and the conference that I was at was RT book reviews which is almost all traditional right so any any hint of self-publishing they were kind of like you know so it it took a while to find like my group online but when I did it made such a dramatic impact on my career because like when Amazon ads first came out like like now everybody does but early on when they very first came out in order to do Amazon ads you had to pay $7,500 to, well, it was actually like $23,000, but you could get together with a couple other authors and divide it into three. So it was like $7,500 to do Amazon ads. And I was like, gosh, like, I don't know, should I do it? Well, I didn't have to do it because one of my new author friends did it. And she came back and she was like, Alessandra, I could have lit $7,500 on fire on Facebook and gotten more attention than I did through those Amazon ads. And I was like, great. Like, that was like, I was like, man, if we can all be upfront and share what's working for us, but also what doesn't work for us, like, there's no need for us all to make the same dumb mistakes, right? Mm. And so that really kind of helped me so much when I joined forces or when I really had open conversation with other authors. And now with the internet, and I say with the internet, like it just came out, <laughs> but, uh, but now there's no reason why we can't be a community. And I know I said it to you earlier, but we're not selling cars, right? Our readers don't buy one book a year where we're all competing for that same reader. We're like readers can read all of us and there's room for great books to succeed in this market. And it's really easy to get competitive and to look at other authors and how many reviews they have or placements they're getting or publishing contracts they're getting but that's the theft of joy like we have to cheer each other on because if you're doing a cross promotion with another author and their books take off then when they talk about your books that's really going to help your books take off you know so we want to we need to all help each other grow and learn and so that was kind of where Alessandra Tori the inkers community came from and we have a Facebook group if you're on Facebook and you search Alessandra Tori inkers 
There's over 14,000 authors and it's just a fantastic place. Like go search the group for, you know, I don't know, like nonfiction editor and you're going to find a post where somebody was looking for a nonfiction editor and people recommend or don't recommend editors. And, and that's what we need. We need a place where we can all get questions answered and there are no dumb questions. I love that. I mean, what a, what an amazing service that you're, you're providing. And, and it also, you know, these, these communities help our own careers grow too. I mean, we're never done learning, educate, educate, educate. There's always so much to learn and things are always changing too. So I love that you're like totally on the authors unite train. I am too. I think we're stronger when we work together. So thank you for that. Now, since we're on the helping other authors, authors unite train, let's talk about Goodreads. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, this is coming. I, I'm so fascinated with you. I wanted, I wanted to ask you all the, all the information about you too. It's so fascinating talking to you and you've had so many experiences. Uh, and, and the thing about Goodreads is this is a topic that was previously covered in InkersCon. Uh, and I found it's so, so helpful. I mean, you're doing a lot of interesting things with Goodreads. So I think a really good place to start around Goodreads is there's a lot of, I think, myths around Goodreads or people are, or authors are kind of like, oh, I don't know. So can you, can you talk about some of the myths around Goodreads and, and how, how you can bust those myths? Because you bust those myths. <laughs> So first of all, anyone listening, if you aren't familiar with Goodreads, because I was not familiar with Goodreads when I first came into this world, Goodreads is a website. It is owned by Amazon. It's a book discovery website where authors and readers, mainly readers, can find, discuss, recommend, and share books. Okay. So 100% Goodreads focus, all it is, is books. Okay. That's that's what it is. So if you are a author, then you are already on there. If your books are published, they are already on Goodreads. I get emails all the time. How do I get my books added to Goodreads? They're there. Okay. So, so they can be there with you or they can be there without you. All right. So that's, that's what Goodreads is. It's goodreads.com. Number one myth about Goodreads, first of all, is that authors should avoid it. That is the first thing I hear all the time. And I see it in my group and other groups all the time is people go, what were you doing on Goodreads? That was your first mistake. Never, ever, ever go on Goodreads. And authors love to tell other authors this. And I'm the first person to stand on my soapbox and say that is 100% incorrect. As I said before, Goodreads is this, it's a social media network and it's a book discovery site that is 100% focused on books. So when someone goes to Facebook and you're talking about your books on Facebook, they're going to scroll past your book or to, when scrolling to your book, they're going to pass cat videos and political stuff and everything else. And, and their mindset is on a ton of other things where when they go to Goodreads, they're there for one purpose. And that is to find a book, to review a book, discuss a book with someone else, right? Or, but typically to find their next book. So why on earth would we not want to be there as an author? Well, the reason that people say stay away from Goodreads is because they say it's troll central. By troll, I mean it's full of horrible, hateful readers who love to bash your books. First of all, trolls are everywhere. So are they on Goodreads? Sure, absolutely. They're also every other corner of the internet, right? And not internet. So can you get on Goodreads and read negative reviews about your book? Sure, absolutely. If you are an author that really shies away or freaks out by negative reviews, you can filter your views when you look at your book and you can only look at four and five star reviews. So that's one way you can do it. I personally like reading negative reviews. I read all my reviews, negative and positive. But it is true that a Goodreads review, a negative review can sting a little more because sometimes they add gifts and things like that, you know, so <laughs> it brings it to life. But it also brings to life those four and five star reviews, right? So you can have great gifts just as easily as you can have bad gifts. But the major myths that I try to dispel with Goodreads are that authors should avoid it. Absolutely not. Authors should not avoid it. If you Google your most recent release right now, I guarantee you that Goodreads is going to be in the top five search results on Google. If not the first, well, Amazon's going to be the first, but Goodreads is most likely going to be the second. And the same with your author name. If you Google your author name, Goodreads is going to be there. So it is a huge search engine magnet. And people are looking at your profiles and looking at your books, whether you are on that site or not. So you might as well be on that site have a presence, have control over that content, and then reach those readers through the tools that they offer. Another thing, reason that authors stay away from Goodreads is because it's confusing. Mm. And that is not a myth. It is 100% true. Goodreads is confusing. I'll, yes, 
I will agree with that all day long. There's a learning curve and I get that, but you don't have to be a Goodreads expert. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's not, it is a little confusing, but it's not something that you can't figure out by asking other friends, watching, watching the video, which I'll provide from Alessandra and, you know, just doing a little bit of research, you can figure, figure these things out, but it can, you know, like any new technology or platform, it can feel a little overwhelming. Let's talk about Goodreads best practices. I mean, I think, you know, being there, you're there whether you have a presence or not. Let's talk about like what what is the bare minimum you would recommend any author have? Yeah. Yeah. So the bare minimum, first you need to claim your author profile if you haven't already. It's pretty easy. You just visit the author page and click this is me, like a link somewhere, and then prove that it's you. You need to have an updated bio, updated profile picture, and your books are again, already there, but you can go in and clean up their descriptions as much as you want, that sort of thing. So the bare minimum is making sure that you have up-to-date information, that your website's there, that your social media is there so they can find you in other places Mm -hmm. and they can follow you properly. That is bare minimum. Second thing that I would do with every release, I would share the Goodreads link um, and add it to your website and things like that for your release. Another really powerful marketing tool is to do a giveaway. They're very easy. Goodreads runs them and they're massive for exposure on the site. So I would do a giveaway pre-release. You, it needs to end before the book is released because the number one benefit and biggest benefit of the giveaway is that every single person who adds your book to their list, which they do when they enter the giveaway, it will email them on release day and let them know that that book is live. So you absolutely want your giveaway to end prior to the release. Otherwise, it's pretty much almost useless. I would say other bare minimum practices is create a blog post when your book releases. That will also send out an email to all of your followers with whatever content is in that blog post. And then make sure, the final thing, make sure that your Goodreads profile, when you're looking at each book page, and especially with your upcoming release, this is mainly an upcoming release thing, you want to make sure that the release date is is accurate, which you can just hit edit details, make sure the release date's accurate, and make sure that your ASIN, which is your Amazon, like social security number, your ASIN, and if you have an ISBN number, that those are both on that profile. Because when Goodreads emails out all of your followers or anyone who's ever been interested in that book and added it to their list, and they say, this book is live, there's going to be beautiful buy buttons in that email, and it'll say, get this book on Amazon or whatever. And if they, unless you have that information, the ASIN and the ISBN number, in that book profile, those buy links will not go directly to your book. We're going to go to a search page on Amazon, which is going to bring up sponsored results. Your book might be 10th, you know, on that list of results. So you want to be sure you put that information and you want to be sure your release date is accurate because that's when it's going to email those readers. Yeah. And I think right now you're talking about adding, like adding a new release to, to Goodreads, right? So let's talk about that. Like, so how does an author add a book to Goodreads when, you know, they haven't, they know they have a new one coming. So let's, let's say somebody wanted, you know, so they're very, they're new to Goodreads. They just set up their profile with the things that you listed are must have, and they want to add their first book. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Because I think a lot of the authors that reached out looking for an episode on Goodreads are the ones that don't have a bio and, and just have the little, you know, silhouette of the person as their picture on their profile. They like, they don't have any, like any, exposure on Goodreads right now. Yeah. So your book, if your book is up on pre-order, then it's easy. It's already Mm -hmm. on Goodreads. So you just have to link that book to your profile. But let's say you're writing a book, right? Like it's, you're not anywhere close to putting it up on pre-order. If you're writing a book and you already have published books, then it's easy. Okay. Then all you have to do is just go up to the search bar, search for your book title. It's not going to come up, right? Because it doesn't exist yet. And then when you, but on that search results page, there'll be a link on the right side that says add a new book or didn't see the book you wanted or whatever, add a new book. And you'll click on that and you'll put in all the details to your new book. And within typically 15 minutes, you, your book profile page is live on the site. And sometimes my book says untitled romance, right? Like it does, I don't have a title yet. The description says, you know, a second chance romance coming summer 2021. Yeah, like that's all I have. And I don't have a cover yet. That's all fine. You then have at least a URL and a link that you can start to have people send traffic to and your followers will see. Now, it is much more difficult 
it's not impossible, but it's much more difficult if you are a debut author who has never written a book. And that's because Goodreads doesn't trust you yet, right? Like there are a lot of people who are like, I'm going to write a book and then they don't, right? Or they, they are halfway through a book and it never happens. So if you've never published a book before, you still can get a book page on Goodreads pre-release, but it is more difficult. Difficult. It, they really won't let you add it until your book is up on pre-order somewhere. It doesn't have to be Amazon. It can be Kobo. It can be Barnes and Noble. But your book needs to be up on pre-order somewhere. That's that's awesome. Thank you for ex- kind of explaining how that that all works in there. And then uh, a a lot of times, talk to us about like cover updates because Goodreads. You, once you submit <laughs> cover art for your book, you are not able to that change so- that. Okay, so one thing to know about Goodreads is it it prides itself on being a lot the world's biggest book database. Okay, mm-hmm. it's very serious about that. Okay, so what that means is it wants like historical records and different editions every time there's been any change or whatever else. So it's why sometimes you look at a book page and it has like twelve editions. You know, it's because the covers changed or something else, and it wants this historical. I have no idea why. <laughs> wants a historical record of every change that's ever made, and it doesn't like when we willy nilly and change things on our own. And it doesn't like us changing things that might not be accurate or that might not be proven by being on the sales page. So if you, um, when you first create a book page, you can leave the book cover blank or you can put a placeholder cover in so placeholder covers look nicer you know it's like coming soon or cover coming soon or whatever but what that then means is if you're ready to update it with the final cover you have to reach out to the goodreads librarians and and one of them has to do it you cannot update that cover your own and you cannot if you recover the book at a future date you have to reach out and the librarians have to change it for you and they will only change it if it is already online on the retailer sites to prove that this is an actual change. So it's a bit of a bear, but there is groups on Goodreads. One of the groups is the librarian group, and you can reach out to them for pretty much any change that you need to make that you don't have the ability to change. There are certain things, book description, release date, things like that, that you can change on your own. Other things you have to have the librarian fix. Yeah. And thanks for explaining that because I think that that's a question that I get a lot is like, how do I update my covers? And why and- can I change this? This is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to get in touch with the librarian group on Goodreads if you update your covers or need to swap out the cover. On one of my books, I accidentally, uh, I think I uplo- uploaded like the the wrong size file and it looked all weird. And then I had to go through the whole process of reaching somebody to put the right one in there. Like I love Goodreads, but there's so many things I don't like about Goodreads, but it's okay. Like it is what it is. It's the organism as it exists. (laughs) So uh, I'll play by their rules, but yeah, that's one of those funky things. And it's one of the reasons why people are like, ah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's what important thing if we're talking about Goodreads to mention. Uh, during your webinar, you talked about newsfeed triggers and email triggers, which, you know, which was so interesting. Like, so once, once you have a, your profile set up and you've got your books added, there's a lot of cool triggers that, that you can use to reach your, your readers. How can read, authors put those triggers into, into use? So there are two two things. So one is newsfeed triggers. Just like Facebook, Goodreads has a newsfeed where you can scroll through and see everything that your friends and followers are doing, okay? Um, friends or people you follow are doing. There's a lot of different ways that you can get your book in those newsfeeds. Anytime someone reviews your book or comments on a review of your book or likes a review of your book, your book is going to appear in their newsfeed. So that's huge. It also means every time you do any of those activities. If you like someone's review of your book, if you comment on someone's review of your book, if you update your own review of your book, it's going to show up in the newsfeed of all of your followers. Okay. So I call those newsfeed triggers. So it's really great to interact on the reviews that people leave for you. This is one of those kind of touchy because there is a weird climate on Goodreads with authors communicating with readers where some readers are touchy about that. So my rule of thumb is I like comments. I like reviews without, I'll like a review without stressing out about it. 
I only comment on five-star reviews and I try not to be creepy about it, you know? So I'll just say, thank you so much. I'm so glad you love this book. Thank you for such a great review. I don't comment on four or three and I definitely don't comment or two or one-star reviews, but liking reviews puts it into your newsfeed. So if you're going on Goodreads and you've just got five minutes and you want to kind of do something to boost your book's visibility, go like some comments on reviews. And this is another thing you can do to help out your fellow author friends, like some comments on their review. Um, And that also gives you a little bit of exposure or comment on other reviews of your friends. Uh, Don't say something like, I'm so glad you like this book. You would also like my book. Don't do that, okay? (laughs) But if you just like it and say, what a great review, you know, that gives your author name some exposure. So it's a great thing to do. Plus, it also helps out your friends. So that's another good thing to do. But that's a newsfeed trigger. Another newsfeed trigger is any general status update. You have the ability to do a status update just like you do on Facebook where you can talk about anything, a giveaway you're doing, you know, like a new chicken that you just bought, whatever you want it to be. You can do what we call a general status update on Goodreads and post it there. That shows up in your newsfeed. So those are newsfeed triggers. And anytime anyone enters your giveaway, it's a newsfeed trigger. So it shows up in all of their newsfeeds, which is huge. And anytime anybody likes their entry in the giveaway, it shows up in their newsfeed. So all of their followers newsfeed, so it can quickly grow viral on the site. Email triggers are triggered by a book release. When your book releases, it emails all of your followers. Um, If you create an event or if you write a blog post, that's an email trigger. So those are specific email triggers that will get into your reader's email inboxes. You will not see their email address. You don't have any control over that, but it is something that triggers it on the Goodreads side. Yeah. And that's so great that you explained that. I mean, I get weekly emails from Goodreads where I see the people that I'm following their most recent blog posts. And I can also see, you know, what they're reading and their new releases and all. I mean, that's a, that's a way to get into people's email emails without having an email newsletter, although you should have an email newsletter, but that's also a way to get, get beyond the app that is Goodreads and get into people's like actual email inboxes. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's free marketing. I will share your resources that you have available on Goodreads, but you know, thank you for pulling back the curtains a little and give us like a peek into using it and busting some of those myths. Is is there anything else like you would advise authors to be aware of on Goodreads as they're going in to start engaging with the site or something that I should have asked but didn't? It's a site that doesn't take a lot of time. You can spend 15 minutes a week on Goodreads and knock out everything that you need to do. So it's not a site that takes a lot of time. If you, the number one thing people say is, oh, I don't have any followers on Goodreads. So how do I get followers on Goodreads? Best way to do that is just be an active Goodreads user from a reader standpoint. Like when you are reading a book, you know, put it, mark it as, as reading, leave status updates, you know, leave a review as an author be aware that we have a certain code of ethics among authors. So, and that code of ethics says that we don't bash other authors' books. Um, so if what I do is if uh, a lot of times though, I'll add a book to my list. I don't know that I'm not going to like a book, right? So I've added it to my list. I'm reading it. And I realize that I hate this book with every ounce of my being, right? So at that point in time, I just quietly stop talking about it. I remove it from my reading shelf. I finish the book or don't finish the book, but I don't leave a review. I might mark it as read, but that's it. I rave about the books that I love. I leave five-star reviews for books that I really love. If I like a book, I'll leave a good review, but I don't leave stars. Some authors get torn out of frame for four-star reviews. I personally don't. I'll take a three-star review. I'll take any review. But some authors think four-star reviews are bad. I'll leave a five-star review or no star, but a text review if I really like a book. So that's just something to be aware of so that you don't get a black mark or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you have to you have to think before you you do things. And you mentioned a couple of things in this interview that I love, like, you know, don't say, comment on somebody else's post and then put a picture of your book yeah. on their page. You know, like, don't don't do that stuff that's like not nice author behavior. And then don't tear apart another author. I mean, we all know how much goes into building a book, writing a book, you know, and again, we always have to keep in mind it's subjective. You know, not every book that you like, will I like, not every book I like, will you like. Reading, writing, the whole thing is subjective. So let's be kind to each other. I'm so glad you mentioned that. 
Alessandro, I feel like I could talk to you forever. I've so enjoyed having you on the show. Can you talk to us like about what's next for you? Where are you going? What are you thinking? What, what is, you know, what's up with your author career? Where are you heading? Well, my book production has cut down significantly. If you're looking for a book, I'll be remiss if I didn't tell you about Every Last Secret. So Every Last Secret is a domestic suspense. It does not have horses in it, but it's still really good. It's a domestic suspense set in California about two neighboring wives and the toxic and then uh, deadly relationship that develops between them. So um, that's Every Last Secret. That's on the writing front, but on the book world front, I joined forces with 120 best-selling authors over a year ago and a team of data scientists and launched Authors AI, which is a company that uses, um, we have a uh, artificial intelligence editor, developmental editor named Marlo, who's fantastic. And she reads your manuscript and gives back like plots out your whole book and your plot arc digitally and creates this beautiful 25 page report that talks about dialogue and pacing and characterization and things like that. Super interesting. So if you're interested in that, check out authors.ai. If you ever read the bestseller code, which was a book written and published three to four years ago by Dr. Matt Dockers. He's one of our co-founders. He's Marlowe's creator. And it's a, it's a really interesting read that looks at commonalities and best-selling novels. That's authors.ai. And then we just launched Binge Books, which is a Goodreads competitor. I took everything that I love about Goodreads and everything that I don't love about Goodreads, and we're creating a new reader community. So I hope in three to four years when I come back, Carly, I hope to be talking to you guys about ways to promote your books on on Binge Books. And I'm really excited for the future of book discovery um, and what we're going to do with Binge Books and how we're going to, in the future, use Marlowe to help fuel those book recommendations. Oh my gosh, so exciting. You are up to some big things. I'm so excited. Yes. And you know, I, I would love to have you back on the show. I mean, really, I could have talked to you about all sorts of things today. <laughs> I know. So please, yes, let's let's have you back on the show to talk about this because I think those are some really exciting things on the horizon. And I imagine Bench Books is going to be much easier and more friendly to use, perhaps, than Goodreads. You can change your cover all you want. So yes. that's the number one thing. Goodreads users were like, we want half stars. They don't like four stars and five stars. They wanted to be able to give a half star. So that was like top of the list. It was like, we got to have half stars on our reviews. So we're taking it one pain point at a time. Well, that's good. I, I hope there might be a day one day where there are no stars and it's just yeah. text reviews because how do you give anything stars, you know, especially yeah, a creative everybody is so different. Like I read my book reviews. I'm in release mode right now. I read a review. The person's like raving about it. This is my best book I've ever read. And it's four stars. And I'm like, what does it take to get a five star review for you? This is the best book you've ever read. You know? So, yeah. It just, yeah. It is. like, I feel like the stars are not as effective as yeah. they could be. I mean, it gives you a visual indicator, but the real the real stuff is in the, in the copy and it, and just, and I like it is just fine, you know, but like just having to battle with leaving something to stars, like just is like, I sit there and I'm like, how do I do that? You know, it's like, just, it's a weird concept, but I have so enjoyed having you on the show and let's have you back on. Could you let listeners know where they can find you and your books and all of your amazing author resources and get in touch with you? Absolutely. So if you're interested in reading my books, alessandratore.com is my website. If you're an author and you're interested in our free webinars or online articles or my classes, um, alessandratore, Inc., I-N-K, like writinginc.com. And then authors.ai is the website for Marlo. If you're, if you want to have her take a look, we've got free, a free report. It's like a smaller version of the report. And then our big report, both are really affordable and um, you can't get more affordable and free, but that's authors.ai. And then I hope to see you guys in your books at Binge Books. Love it. Love it. And we will certainly support your efforts and what you're doing. And I will link to all those places in the show notes and provide some of the, the resources and some more additional information on Alessandra with the show notes. So thank you so much for the gift of your time. I wish you so much continued success in your author career. And I, I really am excited to have you back on the show. Thank you. We'll do it. We'll do it. Thank you guys for having me. And thank you, Carly. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. 
Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.